0: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
1: Explore a wide selection of luxury spirits, wine, and champagne at reservebar.com.
2: Elevate your gifting this year with rare and exceptional bourbons, tequilas, scotch, wine, champagne, with personalized
1: engraving, exceptional glassware, and more. From wines to whiskeys,
2: there's a bottle for everyone. For a limited time, Save
0: $20 on your order of $150 plus with the code IHEART at ReserveBar.com. No! Oh, my God! How could he do that? Are you on? Donate answer. To- what? Charles
2: Darwin.
1: Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And Logan, should I start the show out how I seemingly start every single show and say that this is a very special episode of Nerd Sesh here? I say that every time because it really always is, but today I would say the reasons for that are pretty evident because we are back in the Bill Austin radio studio talking live to you all, which is incredibly exciting, I would say. And on top of that, we actually have some NFL football to talk about. No longer are we diving into the theoreticals, the predictions, the previews, although there will definitely be plenty of that today. We have an actual game to talk about. So let's start there, Logan, because I think we had a very exciting kickoff to the season last night with Bucks. cowboys ended up going down to the wire, a vintage Tom Terrific drive to seal it with a field goal with just really no time on the clock. Logan,
2: what were some of your biggest takeaways from that game? We'll start with the Buccaneers because I think... The takeaways from that side are pretty boring. Uh, And the biggest one is just they're going to be in Super Bowl contention once more. I know I'm stating the obvious, but it was so evident. Like, and I don't think, I think people who didn't watch the game can look in this box score and go, oh my gosh, the Cowboys were so competitive in this game. Um, this was not a competitive game. It shouldn't have been. I should rather say it was. It was a very compelling game to watch. It was very competitive. It shouldn't have been. The Buccaneers shot themselves in the foot effectively, and that's why the Cowboys were able to hold on so long. They gave up 106 penalty yards, 451 total yards, and they turned the ball over three times and didn't force any on the other side. I mean, it was, it was basically just saving grace that the Cowboys were in this game. And, I mean, there mm-hmm. were other big plays, Carson. Uh, the Chris Godwin drop. Uh, late in that game that could have swung the tide over the shoulder that could have been another touchdown um basically my biggest takeaway from Tampa Bay's side is that they are going to once more be a dominant force in football they completely shut down that Cowboys rushing attack no matter who they trotted out there mm-hmm. they were hard to Dak picked them apart pretty well and, I, and we'll get into this but they were pretty stout over the middle and looked pretty good outside of Ross Cockrell on the outside once their starters on the back side get healthy like there's just there is not a single hole in this football team and you have the greatest quarterback of all time at the helm. Again, once more leading a comeback with limited time on the clock. It's just the Buccaneers are going to be the dragon to slay once again in the NFL this season.
1: I think you said it. I mean, and I don't know that this is all that surprising when you return really every notable player from a Super Bowl winning team. I guess it's kind of the expectations that you see this kind of dominance. What really stood out to me is that I agree with you. I think that there was room for this to be an even more convincing victory than it actually was. Like if you look at Tom Brady's performance, he ends up with the two interceptions, the four touchdowns, and I believe 32 of 50 on the day through the air. But that to me is not characteristic of how well he actually played because you look at some of those missed chances, you have a Chris Godwin drop on what I would say almost certainly would have been a touchdown at the very least, a long completion that brings you inside of the ten. And that was an easy drop that you don't expect him to make many times. And then, outside of that, you have the Godwin fumble, which was on the one. So, like, let's say that a couple of those convert, turn into touchdowns. Now Tom Brady's got 430 yards, six touchdowns. This isn't a ball game.
2: Not just that. The interception that he threw was a complete whiff on Leonard Fournette's part. Like, he, uh, he shouldn't have absolutely. even had that interception on his record.
1: Absolutely. And the other interception was a Hail Mary. So, <laughs> not only are you talking about six potential touchdowns, you're talking about Really, I don't want to say zero legitimate turnovers, but, like, those are not the kind of interceptions that you expect to happen again,
2: and they're not meaningful when you're talking about the Hail Mary. And while we're on this, talking about Tom Brady, I mean, Carson, that throw to Antonio Brown, man, Mm -hmm. that's terrifying. Yeah. Just that combination. Um, I'm... I just, Carson, I don't know if there's been a team this talented in the past 20 years in football. Like, I just think that they are, Wow. I think they're freaking loaded. Uh, Like, maybe since the 7 Pats, I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated in the 17-0 season, but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Like, I expect Antonio Brown to be, have over 1,000 yards this season. I expect him to be just all pro, pro bowler, back where he was with the Steelers again. It looked so effortless. It reminded me of prime AB days back when he was paired up with Big Ben. This team terrifies me, Carson. I don't want to see another Tom Brady Super Bowl. I completely agree with you on the AB point because
1: last year we saw Antonio Brown come in halfway through the season, having taken a year off of football with no natural opportunity to integrate into this system, into this offense, joining a team that already had what was up there for the best receiving tandem in football. And he has to compete for touches and targets there. And he was still productive and he still unlocked another level to this offense. And I think that probably we undersold how immense the potential is for Av this year because you said it. Last time we saw Av play a full season of football, he was the best at the position, or at the very least, the co-best, just as he had been for the five seasons previous. And I don't see what he's lost out there. He hasn't lost any of his sharpness route running, which is probably what set him apart as the best in the league at his peak. He is still blazing <laughs> quick. Like, and now he has a very high-level quarterback by his side again, and again, has had that opportunity to actually familiarize himself with the system, develop that chemistry. So last year, he had 100 yards once in 11 games, and he had 100 yards, if I'm not mistaken, in the first half Mm -hmm. of this game, and that big touchdown. And still, he didn't have an overwhelming target share. He was targeted seven times on the day, but I just think... No one receiver in that group is going to have, like, 1,700 yards because I think that they probably have 3,000-yard mm-hmm. receivers there and Gronk, who had two touchdowns in his debut. But A.B. is going to be outstanding again, and I think he's the best receiver out of that bunch.
2: Hey, let me ask you on the whole, then. Um, I guess you could look at this from both sides for Tampa Bay. I'll start. Can the Bucks be the best offense in the NFL this season? That's a good question. I would be surprised
1: because of the questions to me that remain about how good their rushing attack can be. Obviously, we didn't see them consistently dominate there last year, and this year they got off to a bit of a rocky start, although they didn't try to run the ball all that much, but I think they ended up with 50 yards on the ground in this one. And also just because I have such immense respect for a number of offenses around football this year that I think are going to be electric, like we've talked about with the Chiefs, the Titans, the Bills, the Packers. It's going to be tough for me to say that they could be better than all of those offenses, but they'll be right up there just as they were last year. So I thought offensively they were outstanding, and I thought defensively you talked about how they shut down the Cowboys run. I think what we saw was even more meaningful than that, because this is a Dallas offense that has obviously transformed over the last couple years, and that it is no longer what it once was with this ground attack predicated game, this unreal offensive line and all that, where Dak's the game manager, that's completely flipped on its head. Even last year, under Kellen Moore, they became much more of that air-oriented attack. But what they did was effectively disincentivize the Cowboys from even trying to run the ball ever. Like, they hold them to 18 attempts for 60 yards, but we did not see Zeke touch the ball very much at all, and it felt like they were using a lot of that quick, up-tempo, short-passing game to supplement the run game because on second and short, on third and short, they didn't even want to run the ball because of how great that Bucks' run defense is. So to me, that's just a whole different level of defensive dominance when you not only are stopping people, but you're intimidating them to the point where they aren't even going to try it. Something that they have excelled at historically, where they have maybe a top five guy at the position there, and they're not even going to try that. That is scary from Tampa Bay.
2: Yeah, and especially against an offensive line of this caliber with a running back like Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield. I will say... It- on that point, Zach Martin was out. I think that did affect the mm-hmm. running game just a little bit. That being said, though, <laughs> you say that you know they the Cowboys didn't even want to run the ball; they were you know completely un- incentivized to running it. Dude, Zeke looked like he didn't want to touch the rock out there, and when mm-hmm. he did, I don't know, man. I, I distinctly remember that one uh, that one toss they ran towards the left sideline, and the sideline is wide open, man, and he just didn't accelerate. I'm not saying Zeke's washed or anything, or he's mm-hmm. lost a step, but. I really do wonder. I, I think I think you're exactly right, Carson. I think this is a turning point in this Cowboys offense that we're going to see continuing moving forward. Not that, I just think that slowly we're going to see Zeke get gamed out a little more in favor of that, uh, mm-hmm. in favor of Dak, and maybe potentially, Carson. This was a gripe I had. I said the Cowboys shouldn't have paid Zeke back then, even though Zeke was the best running back in the NFL. I, I Again, this is just kind of goes back to running back and value in the NFL. I just wonder if a guy like Tony Pollard or whoever they put back there would just be you know just as well equipped to succeed behind a line like that do you think i'm crazy for saying that like i don't know man i just zeke didn't look the same last night and maybe we'll see him pick it up as the season goes along but he's getting up there in age he's getting paid a lot of money i just don't know if i just don't know if he's worth it there uh, in dallas when you have an offensive line of that caliber i don't think you're crazy at all i think if that
1: was the obvious take in the moment was that this was a ridiculous overpay trying to sort of desperately hang on to this star level guy you had And I think that subsequently we have seen Zeke decline as this offensive line has become less utterly unstoppable. Like last year, this was not an efficient rushing attack. Zeke averaged four yards a carry and had six touchdowns, and he was healthy. So, yeah, I think that that is absolutely the case. And I think that based on what you've seen from Dak, too, and the weapons that you have on the perimeter, you can't ignore that. Like, this is a top-five receiving core in football, and this is a quarterback who was on pace to throw for 6,000 yards through the four and a half games he played last year. He had almost as many yards as Andy Dalton did in half the games, in half the starting appearances. Like, this is an air attack, and I think that you shouldn't have extended a running back for six years, 90 Mm -hmm. million, if you're going to convert to an air attack within two years. I think that that is definitely safe to say. I do think that we have to give props to what they did through the air, though, because this Cowboys offense is dynamic, man. And for Dak to come off of a traumatic injury like that, and just open up with a casual 400-yard performance, very impressive.
2: Absolutely astounding. I mean, I don't – I'm trying to think, man, other quarterbacks we've seen come off injuries. Like Peyton looked really good when he came back. Mm-hmm. Um, that was extended, though. Like For an injury like that, man, normally you see a lot of hesitation from guys when they come back. They look – they're scared to to stand in the pocket. They're scared to fight that pressure. They're scared to roll out. They're, they're hesitant. Mm-hmm. Dak looked game-ready from the first snap, and he was – I said this. Uh, I say this about a lot of QBs, man. But Dak was fearless against that pressure, mm-hmm. and it's damn scary, man. You got Vita Vea coming at you. You got yeah. You got JPP coming at you. You've got Levante David. The Bucks have a scary defense, and Dak stood in there, took that pressure, and not only that, Carson. He had faith in his offensive lineman up front. Where there were a couple times when the pocket com- completely collapsed on him, mm. and he just waited it out, waited for that one seam or one hole to open up, and mm. then he took it. He. Carson, I think Dak might be a, a top five quarterback in the NFL this Whoa. season, and I don't really, I don't think that's a super hot take. He was definitely there last year, but there's just been so much improvement. There's the ball placement was excellent. I, mm-hmm. li- I seriously, I don't think there was any flaws in Dak Prescott's game. I think Kellen Moore definitely deserves a lot of credit. He has been mm-hmm. a mastermind of this offense, but there's somebody that's got to run it, and Dak looked impeccable. Like, I I didn't really see a single flaw in his game, other than a few times where he didn't want to scramble because again, you're going to get walloped by one of these monsters on that defense. Mm -hmm. That was the only issue I saw from Dak last night. I would agree with you. That's the one area in which I would say maybe he didn't look
1: quite like pre-injury status, is just being tentative to take off and run with it. I don't know that there were many times where that was the right decision though, and there were situations in which you think maybe he has a window to run, but he scans downfield and he ends up finding an open guy so i thought you said it he was composed he was accurate he delivered the ball well really to any level any spot on the field and to a variety of receivers and that's another thing that is just so impressive about this dallas offense is that there were seven guys who had three or more catches like Michael Gallup didn't even have a big game, and they had this outstanding production through the air. You saw Dalton Schultz get really involved. You saw even Tony Pollard out of the backfield. You saw Blake Jarwin as another tight end. Like, and then Amari went berserk, and C.D. had some sensational plays. So this Cowboys offense, I think, was clearly going to be great. That was the expectation. That's why I picked them to win the division in nine games. I thought, this is a top 10 offense and a bottom 10 defense.
2: And that is where, exactly, that is where I think the issue comes into play with Dallas. Carson, a, uh, a fun stat thrown out here. Since 2019, Carson, the Cowboys are 0-17 when they score less than 30 points. No way. Yes. That's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I, it just it emphasizes how close, like how good this offense is and how absolutely atrocious this defense is. And on that, you know, I'm, I'm coming out here with these takes, top five, top, top one, top three. I think the Dallas Cowboys could easily have a top five offense this season. I think their offense is clearly Super Bowl caliber. Mm-hmm. I mean to me, Carson, one more offseason in a coaching change, and I think the Dallas Cowboys are Super Bowl contenders. You give them you give them one more season, one more offseason of draft picks where they can draft a safety, draft a corner, draft mm-hmm. another corner, bring in another pass rusher and a linebacker for depth. I think the Dallas Cowboys are Super Bowl contenders this year. I don't think. I don't think so. I still am going to lean with the Washington Football Team as my pick. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I just think one more season with free agents and draft picks, and the Dallas Cowboys are going to be competing for a Super Bowl. You mentioned, I did say coaching change. Yeah, uh, Will Brinson on the Pick Six Pod, love the guy. Uh, said that the Cowboys made a mistake hiring Mike McCarthy instead of Kellen Moore. I completely mm-hmm. agree. I think Kellen Moore takes over next offseason. I think you revamp the defense a little bit. And the Dallas Cowboys are going to be Super Bowl contenders. I think that that's optimistic, probably, just because
1: I don't know if this defense is an off season away. Dude, I mean, look at the assets that they have right now.
2: I, I, I get why you disagree. The secondary is absolutely horrendous. It's atrocious. I mean, it is. Ugh, it's just ugly. Like, it, Trayvon Diggs is the best corner they got. But you have difference makers here, bro. You have Demarcus Lawrence. Now you have Micah Parsons. Those are two building blocks. And, I, again, that is optimistic because you still have to have, get Jalen Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch. They still have to mm-hmm. be at the peak of their powers. But you've got two really big difference makers now. And I just think, I don't know, man. Yeah, maybe it is optimistic. But you've got two dogs at two levels. There's not a whole lot in my eyes that you need to fill out. Like, if they shore up the secondary, I think they are a 12-win team next season regardless.
1: I mean, that's a tall task, though. That secondary is a long ways to go. They let up 380 yards through the air. They let up, as a team, 6.7 yards per play. And as we've said, that's with missed opportunities. That's with takeaways, particularly the Godwin fumbles sort of saving their butts. They very easily could have let up 40 points in this game. They did not generate any pressure on Tom Brady, who just sat there in the pocket, happy as a clam all day, <laughs> and picked them apart, just dissected them. So... I'm optimistic about this offense, as I have been, but I wouldn't say this was an encouraging defensive performance. No, I'm not saying that at all. Okay, and what I'm saying, Logan, is that two building blocks on defense doesn't even get you within a stone's throw of being a good defense. You need 11 quality guys out there. You can't just say, we have a really good pass rusher, and we have this mobile do-it-all linebacker, who, by the way, is a rookie, and say, we're an offseason away. When the— Front office has shown a complete inability to actually successfully build that defense.
2: I'm not saying that this defense is going to immediately become top 10. That they're going to become top 5. They become league average next season. And that's enough. Yeah. When you have an offense that can put up 25 to 30 points a night, you don't need a game. You just need a defense that is going to bend and not break. And I think that's attainable within one off season. I suppose. But to me,
1: they would have to surpass some really great offenses in my power rankings
2: so after seeing this first game from dallas are you are you higher or are you lower on them as the season continues like are you more optimistic are you pessimistic how are you feeling about dallas uh, on the whole i was about to ask you the exact same thing <laughs> about both of these teams honestly
1: i don't know that my feelings have changed all that much about either squad here i had both of them as playoff teams I have the Cowboys winning the lowly NFC East, and I have the Bucks finishing as the top seed out of the NFC. I think that Tampa Bay is probably the most complete team in football, as they were last year. And I think that they're an absolute Super Bowl threat. And I think, unfortunately, 44-year-old Tom Brady is the same player as 43-year-old Tom Brady. And <laughs> maybe he's even better. I don't know. He played a better game here than he did at almost any point last year. like Because, again, there were the instances last year where you know, he couldn't throw the ball with velocity into, mm-hmm. that, m- into that intermediate passing area where he turned the ball over too much. And I'm not saying that we aren't going to see those same cracks this year because I expect that we will. But outside of those four or five deliberate incomplete passes at the end of the game, and again, the couple unfortunate interceptions, like this is what I'm saying. He easily could have been 32 for 44 with six touchdowns and no picks or something absurd like that. And sure, you can look at things that could have gone a different way in every game, but I don't feel like that's unreasonable to say. And uh, that's just terrifying.
2: Yeah, and, and I'd say uh, I'd say I made a grave mistake uh, betting on Aaron Rodgers and the boys um, mm-hmm. to to win the NFC. I, I think I'm going to back out on that. Obviously, we need to see the Packers, and maybe Aaron Rodgers makes me change my mind yeah. um, after they played the Saints, but. The Bucks just didn't look like they lost anything. We know roster wise they didn't lose anything, but they look they look genuinely better. And I guess I was counting again. We mixed, we marked the X factor before the season started mm-hmm. as Tom Brady regressing. It's not going to happen. He doesn't even. Yeah, Tom Brady doesn't have to be perfect. No, nope. I think I should have picked the Buccaneers to be my uh, to be my number one team out in the NFC. As long as he can throw the ball with touch, which we know
1: he can do, and make good decisions, which we know he can do, then he's going to be the same guy. And I will say, you talk about them being maybe even better, for much of last year we didn't see Vita Vea, and I thought that he was one of the most impressive players on the field in this game. It just adds another element to that terrifying, terrifying pass rush that is probably
2: the best in the league, right up there. Yeah, you want to talk about a reason they were able to shut down Zeke in this rushing attack so easily. He's the reason why. Like, Mm -hmm. If you were going to pick a hole in this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team last year, it probably would have been... Like, don't get me wrong. They were pretty much perfect on both sides of the ball. But if you're going to pick something, it would have to be uh, the air attack. And Mm -hmm. I think that, again, I think that's really the only concern again this year. They were the number one run defense last season without Vita Vea. Mm -hmm. Vita Vea returns. They just get better. Like, I think once they get healthy, watch out. Yeah. I don't think, Carson, honestly, bro, again, I think I'm getting away from it, but when you have all of these circumstances against you, the penalties, the turnovers, the mistakes, mm-hmm. damn, they could have been, I think the Buccaneers could be perfect this year, bro.
1: And that's the other thing. You talk about them and their potential to be the one seed or have a crazy regular season, the schedule is pretty easy. They could go 15-2 and two no problem if they kind of just don't mess it up along the way and don't regress from last year. So I don't know, maybe they should have been my Super Bowl pick, I had them losing in the NFC Championship game. We'll see if that ends up happening. They look outstanding, though. But at the same time, it's not like I'm really surprised by it. Like I would say this was around what I Mm -hmm. expected from both teams. It was a really good game. And by the way, Logan, when that line moved up to... Plus nine, plus nine and a half for the Cowboys, what did I say? I said, this is the Carson Breber lock of the week that the Cowboys are going to cover. It was the lock of the week, Logan. Did I tweet it anywhere? No. Did I say it on a podcast anywhere? No. But did I say it to you and Gabe Swartz over and over again and say that I was going to mention it on this podcast retroactively to say, I was right. I didn't tell any of you was right. I have no real evidence I was right, but I was right. Yes. And I'm doing it right now.
2: Yeah, a little peek behind the wall, a little uh, fourth wall breaking here. Yeah, man. Carson complained uh, so long after the Cowboys Buccaneers game. Oh man, why didn't I tweet it anywhere? Why didn't yeah. I say it somewhere? Well, wow. because it was my lock of the it, week. It was his lock of the week. I will, I will confirm here uh, Thank on, on Nerdsesh. Carson did, <laughs> did did call the Cowboys Bucks spread as his lock of the week. Congratulations, you have earned yourself twelve V bucks and a cookie. Let's Congratulations, go. Carson. Um, you have a you have a new lock of the week for for this episode, though. Correct. Yeah, I have a second lock of the week. We'll get to that later. But I really liked
1: my first lock of the (laughs) week. I mean, it was just a real home run. So as I just hinted at, we will be doing a lot of week one preview here for the game still to come, bold predictions and whatnot. But before we get into that, Logan, before we take a break, I should say one more piece of news to address, and that is that the Baltimore Ravens have just been decimated. We heard a couple weeks ago that J.K. Dobbins was going to be out for a long time, and now both Gus Edwards and Marcus Peters have apparently torn their ACLs and they did so in back-to-back plays in practice. I think a lot of us expected the Ravens to be right up there as contenders again this year. I had them winning the division. I was pretty confident in that. Does this
2: change the outlook on this team for you significantly? It's a good question. Uh, Significantly is where I would say Mm -hmm. it's hard to justify. Like I think this takes them, if you had the Ravens winning the AFC North, maybe you want to back off of that a little bit because while these losses may not seem major, they they certainly do matter. The Marcus Peters loss. You're asking Anthony Avert to step up now and be yep. a number one corner. You're asking Jimmy Smith to continue producing. And so again, like I, I don't think this. I don't expect any of these injuries to take a major toll on the offense or defense, but they're certainly significant. As for the running game, you lose Dobbins and Edwards. Edwards was excellent last season. I expected mm-hmm. him to take a huge leap this year. He was my he was my breakout performer that age really well. Um, <laughs> Dobbins also was supposed to be a major part of this attack, as was Justice Hill. They all go down. It's really just what you get out of Tyson Williams, Latavius Murray, and Le'Veon Bell. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think they to get decent production. Latavius Murray is a really good power runner between the tackles. And I think there's room, Carson. Look, Le'Veon Bell has not looked like the Le'Veon Bell has not looked like the dominant rusher he once was in Pittsburgh since he left, since his departure. He's ran behind a couple poor run-blocking offensive lines uh, in New York and in Kansas City. But here I think there's promise, man. I really do. You have Villanueva on the right side who is blocking for him up front in Pittsburgh. You have Kevin Zeitler, a tremendous run blocker. You have Ronnie Stanley on the other side. Like, I don't know if they're going to change how they block for Le'Veon Bell's rushing style, but they're going to be a good run-blocking unit regardless, and I think that is hopeful. That's the thing, though. I don't think Le'Veon Bell can come out here and try to dance and bob and weave between the tackles. He's got to transition to hitting the hole hard. So to answer your question, it changes my outlook a little bit. Instead of having them win 11 games, I may lean towards 10. This team is still going to make the playoffs. They're still going to be Mm -hmm. a hard out week in, week out because they have an MVP caliber quarterback in Lamar Jackson. So maybe a little bit, but not majorly. The Ravens are still going to be dominant.
1: I had them winning 12 games. I thought they were clearly the third best team in the AFC behind the Chiefs and the Bills. I think that this hurts you. I mean, obviously, you don't want to lose your top two options at running back, but I'm not nearly as concerned about that as I am the Marcus Peters Mm -hmm. loss because when the best secondary in football probably loses arguably the top player in that unit, what? The best secondary in football. Are you disrespecting the Ravens' secondary? I'm not taking the Ravens as my number one. Who are you taking as your number one? The
2: Broncos.
1: I mean, they're the other candidate, but when they're healthy with Marlon Humphrey, with Marcus Peters, a little bit of Chuck Clark in there, that is just an absolutely loaded group. So I think that they're in the conversation. Now, they're probably not in that conversation anymore, but that's a damaging loss to me, and that's going to hurt them. I do think that Tyson Williams and Latavius and Le'Veon in conjunction can supplement a majority of what you were going to get though because we've seen this running game be utterly dominant with different guys that lead back and now you're pushing it a little bit although Latavius has still been productive in recent years and good things have been said about Tyson Williams I just think they're going to be a dominant rushing attack no matter what as long as they have Lamar Jackson in this line and guys who can competently run the ball but I think maybe a shave a win off like this is not ideal no doubt about that I still think they're the best team in the AFC North though
2: That's going to be my next question. Do you still have them winning the North?
1: Yes. I still think they're the least flawed. I think they're the most complete roster. Boo. Okay, well, yeah, I can't wait to hear Logan's Steelers takes later on today. Say Logan's been doing a lot of run in his mouth about the upcoming Steelers. And you go watch, boy. You go watch. I will. I'll be watching with you on Sunday. You can watch
2: Big Ben carve up that (laughs) that weak defense. Uh Uh-huh,
1: yeah. See, this is the thing. I'm trying to take it
2: easy on you here, but you keep provoking me. No, I have to talk, Carson, because we're going to get shellacked on Sunday, (laughs) and then I'm not going to be able to run my mouth anymore. Yeah. Josh Allen's probably going to throw for 500 yards and six touchdowns, and you're going to be doing a Fortnite dance over there. This is what I was looking for, because I am going to be
1: Fortnite dancing pretty (laughs) aggressively on Sunday. So with that, (laughs) we've got lots of good games to talk about this Sunday, and we will do just that, as I said earlier, giving our bold predictions for Week 1. On the other side of the break, we will be back in just a moment. You're listening to Nerd Sesh on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. Welcome, everybody, back. Hope you enjoyed hearing the sweet sing-songy voice of Carson Brever on both those promos that I just played, if you're listening live on Blaze Radio. Big self-promotion guy. None of those times are accurate anymore because it's a new semester, and there will be a new promo from Nerd Sesh and down the line soon enough. And if you aren't listening live and you're listening to the podcast, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about right now. So, Logan, as we said on the other side of the break, it's time for our Week 1 Bold Predictions. We gave our NFL Season Bold Predictions earlier this week. You can go ahead and check out that pod on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you consume Nerd Sesh. But now we're looking specifically at the slate of games that we have to open things up this season, this Sunday and Monday. So, I'll just throw it over to you. What's your first bold prediction for the week?
2: I think I'm coming in pretty hot here. Um, and it's it pertains to the Eagles-Falcons game. And I'm going either Miles Sanders or Devontae Smith. Goes for over 200 yards wow. against the Falcons. Now, the reason oh my I, gosh. I originally was just going to go Miles Sanders, but then I, I realized, man, the Falcons' rush defense was actually kind of okay last season.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: However, they were like the worst secondary in the NFL. They finished yeah. 32nd uh, in passing yards. Really, not, none of that's changed. I mean, you're still counting on a bunch of young corners to produce for this team, some depth safeties that have kind of been around all over the league. This defense has really not progressed at all. And if you have listened to Nerd Sesh, which I hope you're doing, well, if you're listening, if you're hearing this, you're listening to it now. I hope you've heard some of our previews uh, to the season. Carson and I are both Philadelphia Eagles offense guys. Mm-hmm. I am I am huge on what this offense can do this season. I think we see Miles Sanders get fed a lot this season. This is a backfield that is nowhere near as deep as it was these past few seasons. Devontae Smith is the clear number one. They Again, the Eagles have struggled to, to find consistent wideouts. Devontae Smith is going to be the go-to guy in this receiving attack. Mm-hmm. I just think Jalen Hurts feeds Devontae. I think he feeds Miles Sanders. Like, it, the reason, like it's, it has, it, it definitely. This has part to do with the Falcons' poor defense, obviously, but it also has to do with a lack of difference makers on this Eagles' offense. Mm. Miles Sanders, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Hurts are clearly just the most go-to guys here. Like, yeah, man, Quez Watkins is really going to eat here week one against the Falcons. I don't know that he's the next guy on that list. No, it's probably. Jalen Rieger. Or, I would say, before that, Goddard and Ertz, both oh, I, of them. I oh, this man was going to say Greg Ward. Yeah, you're right. No, I wasn't <laughs> going to say Greg Ward. <laughs> A little A.B. That man does look like Antonio Brown out there Boston on the field. Austin Scott! <laughs> <laughs> um, my hot take, though, I think, I think Devontae and Miles Sanders, one of them likely going to Eclipse 150, but nah, 150 is too too small. I'm going 200. I think either one of these guys has a huge game. I'm leaning Devontae, though, man. I think he eats on this hard Falcon secondary week one. Love it, and this ties
1: in beautifully to one of my bold predictions, which is that the Eagles go on the road and beat the Falcons. I think that you touched on some of the keys here. Atlanta was one of the absolute worst passing defenses in football last year, and even though I think that this Philadelphia offense is going to be predicated on Miles Sanders and what he can do on the ground, I think that this could be a real confidence-building opportunity for Philly to go out there and throw the ball a little bit and get Jalen Hurts in rhythm and establish that rapport with Devontae because I think he's going to be really good as well. And Ertz is apparently now all in on Philly. I don't know if I buy that after there were trade rumors for so long, but he's there. He's apparently happy to be there. And I do think that he's still among the better receiving tight ends in football when he's actually locked in and then Goddard is also in that same category so I think that they're going to have more success through the air than we probably saw at most points last year I think if you can get up early you can run the ball right at them I still think that's the strength of this offense regardless of the matchup and maybe this is a little bit of irrational faith in this young Eagles trio of weapons and Jalen Hurts's ability to go out there and be a winning quarterback But I would argue it's also just a condemnation of what we expect to see from Atlanta defensively. What concerns me here is if Philly isn't able to get stops and this game gets up into like Mm -hmm. the 30s, I don't think they're winning that football game. And Atlanta does have the potential to be a top 10 offense this year. And a lot of this is going to hinge on probably what Atlanta can do on the ground as well. Because I think that passing attack is going to be really good no matter what. But I'm not so sure about the run game.
2: I, I agree a little bit. If if this turns into a shootout, I don't really know how much I like the odds. Matt mm-hmm. Ryan is just, he's still got arguably the better uh, receiving weapons. Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage. Arguably? Uh, never mind. It's not <laughs> arguable. I will say, you uh, you mentioned establishing rapport between Hurts and Smith. And I think mm-hmm. that's a big aspect of why I immediately like this connection. Mm-hmm. You're not establishing report. You're re- just re establishing report. Yeah. These guys played together in 2017 and 2018 at Bama. Um, fun fact uh, <laughs> Jalen Hurts, uh, they called Devontae Smith the, uh, the Slim Reaper. I love it. No, that's been taken by Kevin Durant? Yeah. All right, bruh. Whatever. No, that's not creative. You can't uh, reuse nicknames. I'll call Kevin Durant that lanky guy who can shoot well. What you if know? I started
1: calling you Peyton T. Gallagher?
2: I love it. can you do that can you call me can I call you Vaughn Jones yes shout out um <laughs> that's what's the thing I love about this connection here is Hertz and Smith have already spent time together and I think I just think we see this immediately uh, in week one here I think it's there's no drop off there's no time to to reestablish that connection. I think it's great from day one.
1: I love it again I'm scared of what this Falcons offense can do, but I think the Eagles defense is going to be competent and This is bold, right? It's the bold prediction. I think they go on the road. I think they win, and I think that they start their season off on the right foot. All right.
2: What else do you have for us here, Logan? Uh, You went with a game prediction. I'll go with a game prediction, and we're going to do our lock of the week here uh, in a little bit. My lock of the week is not this one, but I do think a team is going to cover convincingly, and that's the Browns. I don't think the Browns come out here, and I don't think they beat the Kansas City Chiefs, but I think they keep this game close, and I know a lot of people are going to sit here and say, oh, well, the only reason that playoff game was close is because Chad Henney had to come in. I don't care, man. I think the Browns can go toe-to-toe offensively with this unit. Don't give me that. Why are you looking at me like that, bro? I just don't understand your takes
1: on the Browns. You think they're going to win 11 games, but you think that they're not going to be better than last year. You think they're going to be worse. So then you think they're going to win eight games, but now you think that they're going to cover against the Chiefs in a line that I feel like most people are saying you got to hammer Kansas City with. You just perplex me. You're a fascinating, complicated guy. And there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) <laughs> but, I, but I don't much like
2: how you're looking at me from across the studio right now. Um, look, bro, I, I've harped on this. My issue with the Cleveland Browns is defensively. So maybe mm-hmm. that's where you will counter with me uh, in this argument. I will. Is uh, this Browns' defense sucks? Patrick Mahomes is going to throw for 600 yards and six touchdowns, and this won't. This game won't be even close. Maybe that happens. That's why these are bold predictions, mm-hmm. right? Because they're things that probably aren't going to happen. What a concept, right? I just—I have been infatuated with this Browns offense, and I have claimed—I claimed before the playoffs last season. I said during the playoffs, this is a Super Bowl-caliber offense. And honestly, Carson, the only thing that I think this team needs to clean up is—and and a reason that I think what they what the Browns' defense has to do to make this hit. They have to be better on third downs. They were 23rd and third down percentage last season. That has to be cleaned up. Mm-hmm. But again, this is a Super Bowl-caliber offense, Carson. If they get this ground attack going, which again was a issue with the Chiefs last season, this run defense— I just think the Browns can put up buckets of points on any team, and I think they do it here against Kansas City. I think this is a high-scoring game. I think we see probably 32 to 35, 30 to – I think this is in the 30s. But that being Mm -hmm. said, I don't think it's more than a touchdown. I think the Browns, while they are a flawed team, while I don't like this defense, this offense is elite. This offense is amazing, and I think they keep this close simply because of their ability to put up points. I honestly think that this defense
1: is going to be improved from last year, and I've said that, and I think that's a reason that the Browns will be a better team than they were last year. I just don't particularly like them in this matchup for a few reasons. I think that, first of all, we saw that a locked-in Chiefs defense is always an above-average unit, and, I mean, they were pretty stingy against this Browns offense last year. They held them to three points in the first half in that playoff game. Now I guess what you could say is that Odell throws another dynamic into this offense and he definitely does And the browns offense was clicking on all cylinders at various points last year. They were super dynamic. My thing is just I think that patty mahomes is going to come out with a chip on his shoulder this entire year and particularly in this game given that he didn't get the opportunity to deliver the kind of shredding that he wanted to and because This guy has just always started out the season in ridiculous form. In September games in his career, he's 10-0 with 3,304 yards, 32 (laughs) touchdowns, and 0 picks. So, for a second straight bold prediction, Logan, we are looking at the same game here. I think Mahomes throws for 400 yards and 5 touchdowns, and at that point, I think it's going to be tough for the Browns to cover.
2: Can I redact my take? No.
1: Damn! <laughs> Unfortunately, we have a strict no-return policy on that. What a bummer for you. Are you really going back on it? Is this what you're going to do with every Browns take? You're going to come high on the Browns, and you're just going to run it right back
2: immediately? I didn't know that stat. Can you read that one more time?
1: Patrick Mahomes in September, 10-0, 3,304 yards, 32 touchdowns, zero picks. I'm going to be honest, bro. I don't know about this take anymore after that. Um, yeah.
2: No, he's pretty good. I've looked him up. He's pretty good. Oh, dude. I you know what, bro? I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with a strict no browns takes policy moving forward good. because they just perplex me. I mean, this is really shocking, Logan. You dropped them by
1: three wins <laughs> just in at a moment's notice, and now you've completely redacted your take on them. All right, so what's your replacement take here then?
2: Uh my replacement take, this one. I'm really confident in. It's gonna be about the uh, Steelers. I'm not super confident in that oh, take. Okay. I'm gonna keep it a buck. Daniel Jones has three or more turnovers against the Denver Broncos. And, Carson, you said earlier, you know, you asked me about this, uh, who I thought was the best secondary in the NFL. I think it's well-established this season that the Denver Broncos have the best secondary in the NFL. Obviously, this has a lot to do uh, revolving around their first-round draft pick, going out and getting Patrick Sertain. Mm -hmm. But, dude... I mean, just the names: Kyle yeah. Fuller, Ronald Darby, Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson. Yeah. Jackson and Simmons, two of the most underrated safeties in the NFL. I think they're the best safety tandem in the league, up there with you know the Micah Hydes and Jordan Thank Poyer's you. of the world. I appreciate that. I got to give respect where respect is due. But this was an under this was a underperforming defensive unit last season. A league average by pass, below league average in the run uh, in the rushing attack. Mm-hmm. But you get Von Miller back. You have Bradley Chubb on the outside. I think they put a lot of pressure on Daniel Jones. And Carson, something that we saw in preseason with this Giants offensive line, Andrew Thomas still looked really rough, man. And I think Bradley Chubb and Von Miller cause a lot of issues for him immediately. I think they get a lot of pressure on him. And I mean, just this, there's a lot of pressure on this Giants offensive line to buy time for Daniel Jones, a guy that we know does not react well under pressure. And there, there is one facet of Daniel Jones's game that really improved in 2020 and Mm -hmm. that was his deep ball he was one of the best deep passing guys in the league i don't think that's a i don't think that's a really smart strategy like i think the giants realized that that was a facet of his game that he really improved in last season and are going to try to lean on this deep passing attack with the weapons that they've added Mm -hmm. that is part of this take I think that they try to reestablish this deep passing attack this season. I, they try to throw deep balls to Galladay, to Darius Toney, to Sterling Shepard. And I think he throws a couple of picks on those deep balls where he gets a little too aggressive. And I think, the, I think the Broncos get this pass rush home and cause a few fumbles. Daniel Jones is a turnover machine. And I anticipate a lot of turnovers in this opening game. Because this is a really hard draw for the season opener. I love this take. The only thing
0: that
1: could possibly throw a wrench in it in my opinion is if Bradley Chubb ends up not playing because he's questionable right now recently arrested (laughs) so if he's out there I think that I agree with everything that you laid out because I think this is clearly going to be an improved defense across the board and I think a lot of people expect them to be among the most improved teams in football and if there's anybody who you're going to bet to turn the ball over multiple times in an, an individual game, it's going to be Daniel Jones against a great defense and a great secondary with a couple of imposing pass rushers. So I think this is an excellent take.
2: Well, maybe there's somebody else you could predict to have multiple turnovers against a really good defense with multiple pass rushers, but I'll get into that. Logan, I'm tempted to commit an act of violence against you. <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> guys! <laughs> Carson just threatened me. No, I didn't. I'm going to clip this and cancel him on Twitter.
1: No, I didn't. That's not characteristic of what happened.
2: Can you repeat that? You were tempted to commit an act of violence Uh, against me? What? Who, what? Let me ask you. If you were, if you were like, if you wanted to commit an act of violence against me here in the studio, how would you do it? What? What are you talking about? Who said that? Did you hear that? I, (laughs) I gotta be going deaf or something. What?
1: Guys, Logan's got a case of the loonies. What is he talking about? An act of violence? One of my dearest friends? On the podcast? Live? No. You want to hear my bold take? Not really. Okay, well, here it is. (laughs) I think that in Dolphins Patriots, we see less than 375 total passing yards, and the two teams combined for under 35 points. I think that this is along with maybe Broncos-Giants, actually, the lowest scoring game of Week 1. I think that particularly we see just a hesitancy to throw the ball because we are looking at a quarterback in Tuatunga Bailoa who his team has expressed absolutely zero faith in and who I think has been not impressive in the time leading up to this season. I said that one of my bold predictions for the season that I considered was that he would have 15 passing touchdowns or less on the entire year. I think that that is in the cards. And last year, he averaged 200 yards per game. So he's right around the average mark that you would need to get to this 375 total mark that I'm talking about. And he's going up against an exceptional defense in an exceptional secondary. So I don't think that he has a pretty game whatsoever. And then I think that the Patriots are the better offense. I think they have the quarterback who I have more faith in given the line that he has in front of him how simplified his role is going to be. But do I expect them to try to throw the ball a ton in Mac Jones' professional debut on this secondary that was a turnover machine last year? I do not. I think that they do a lot of leaning on Damian Harris. I think that both teams are content to just kind of kill clock for a lot of this game, grind it out, and then let their defenses do the majority of the work. So I think we're looking at like a 20-14... to 14 kind of game here. I think the Pats are the better team. I think that they have the better offense again. But I just think both these defenses against these quarterbacks, we're not going to see a lot of passing. We're not going to see a lot of points.
2: You know, Carson, even though you were tempted to hit me over the head with a wooden mallet.
1: Well, I didn't say that. I don't have a
2: mallet on me. This is a superb take. I'm going to dab you up, dude. This This is excellent. A lot of the reasons you laid out, but also... I, there's there's another reason why these teams might be tempted to run the ball, and it's because both of these teams were league-averaged by run defense last season. Like, the Dolphins were bad mm-hmm. against, against the run. Like, Damian Harris should eat yep. here against Miami. Again, another reason why you might not turn to Mac Jones. I don't—honestly, a lot of people are expecting massive, massive things from Mac Jones this first season, mm-hmm. and I don't think you should. I think you should expect Mac to lean on the play-action game, not try to do too much. Like, I think Bill Belichick is going to ease him into this system, mm-hmm. but— I, in this individual game, I think it's a lot of Damian Harris. I think the Dolphins turn to the ground game a lot. And again, dude, you mentioned it. Both of these teams have excellent pass defense units. I don't want to throw on J.C. Jackson, Devin McCourty. I don't want to throw on Xavier Howard and Byron mm-hmm. Jones. I think you're exactly right. This is an excellent take. I was tempted, going into this pod, or going into the show, to say that Mac Jones dramatically outperforms two attack of Iloa, the Patriots win in convincing fashion, You've made me redact another one of my takes. This is You've made some really salient points. Thank you. I do think this is a gritty, grinded-out game. Let me ask you this. Do either of these quarterbacks surpass 200 yards passing? Excellent and question. And if so, who are you more confident in to pass that mark? Well, it's an excellent question because
1: I think there's a case to be made for either side. Again, I think that Mac is the better of the two. I think he's going to have the easier throws to make. I also think that he has the better run game to lean on. So I think I would say... Mac is probably my favorite here, just because I think this Dolphins offense is really going to struggle, probably this whole year, but particularly against the Pats. But I think Damian Harris could have a monster 150-yard game. Like, I think this is no longer a bold take, but he's going to have a really, really strong season. I thought he was so impressive last year, and that's, to me, going to be the identity of this team. And you open up the play action, and you just let Mac do the easy stuff for the most part. All right, what's your next bold take, Logan? Logan. No, oh, I don't like the look he's giving me. This sucks.
2: Let's get into it, baby. I've got two Steeler takes. Oh, look at him. <laughs> nice sigh. Dude, when, we better not play
1: for like four years after this. <laughs> this is insufferable. <laughs> we'll cause a rift in our
2: relationship. Nah. We, might meet, you're, might, you're just a confident guy. Might meet you guys in the playoffs, TBH. Yeah, possible. Um, my first Steeler's take, because I do have another one revved up. Josh Allen. My MVP pick. Starts out the season kind of cold. Two-plus turnovers, and the Bills lose to the Steelers by more than seven points. Wow! <laughs> wow! Not just
1: a win, but a blowout.
2: I mean, like, honestly, guys, you know, NerdSesh is based in really convincing arguments using facts and logic. There's none in this one. Great. Just kind of, you know, the hunch I had when I rolled out of bed this morning. No, I want to see it happen. Look, man, the Steelers led the league in turnovers last season. We've got a dominant pass rush. And that's the thing, man. Josh Allen is the second-best quarterback in the NFL, and it's really hard to fluster the guy. I don't think we've seen Josh Allen truly flustered since, what, week three or week four of last season? Mm -hmm. When did you guys play the Rams? Is that week two or week three? That was... uh week three I think uh, we haven't really seen Josh Allen flustered since the second half of week three versus the Rams in that game against the Titans Josh Allen is a hard guy to completely fluster and in that game against Pittsburgh our pass rush didn't really affect him Man, he rolled out of the pack he rolled out of the pocket effectively granted this was a Steelers defense that wasn't at full health and that is where the real basis of this take is going to l- rely on we didn't have Devin Bush we didn't have Robert Spillane we didn't have Bud Dupree. We were down to Avery Williamson and the boys. We had a safety out there. I think it's a lot harder for Josh Allen to find that over the middle stuff to just find consistent open guys. I think this is a gritty, grinded out game here between Buffalo and Pittsburgh. What are you going to tell me that we're gonna? You're just going to carve up our corners?
1: Yes. Who's covering Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, and Emmanuel Sanders?
2: So we're gonna put. Oh, damn. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna put Joe Hayden on Stephon Diggs. Yeah. I think that they're oh, the in problem. Oh, Dude, I'm trusting Cam Sutton. Yeah. And James Pierre. Whatever, baby. I'm riding with this take. We're gonna put pressure on Josh, that's for certain. It's just can T J get back there and force a fumble? Look, man, that was an issue with Josh early on. If mm-hmm. we can if we can get back there and force a fumble, like I think that's in the realm of possibility. The interception is where it's gonna be hard. Um yeah, I don't know, man. This is not one of my stronger arguments in sesh history. That being said, we got a good pass rush. We led the league in turnovers last season. We have lost a lot on the outside uh, at our cornerback spot. But weird things happen in the NFL, and upsets happen too. I'm riding with my boys every week. Go Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, good for you, man. I mean, you love to see the confidence. You love to see the loyalty. But personally, I'm not convinced. I think that... That secondary-to-receiver mismatch is just blatant, and I think that this is a Bills-passing offense that really almost nobody was able to limit last year. Like, there was that really ugly game against Kansas City in the regular season, but outside of that, dude, like, nobody stopped the Bills, and nobody really forced turnovers. I think that you've identified a fair key in that It may be more likely that those turnovers come off of at least one Josh fumble, but even that he really sharpened up on as last year went along for the most part. So I think he's a guy who can avoid pressure. I think he's a guy who can make those dynamic plays. And again, I don't trust the Steelers to hold down for long enough in coverage for that pressure to consistently get there because Josh is an expert at evading pressure and he can make that dynamic throw, and then boom, now you have an open field, you have a broken down defense, and you have a lot of
2: yards. I'd also like to say, I don't really expect the Steelers to come out in a whole lot of man coverage against you guys. Mm-hmm. We're going to get we're going to get the dog walked on us if we come out in man. Yeah. The two guys that can really change this game, I think, defensively on Josh Allen and make plays happen are Joe Schobert and Devin Bush over the middle. I just don't think Josh needs to go over the middle all that much. Like Beasley,
1: sure, but outside of that, I think you're going to get a lot of Stephon Diggs on the perimeter. And Josh has gotten so much better against zone. Like uh, that used to really stifle him and trip him up a little bit. Not anymore. He just dissects it anyways. Like the guy is just, he's really tough to force into mistakes at this point. He's the second best quarterback in football or the third best quarterback in football. I don't think you can put him lower than that. So, and then the Steelers to win by at least a touchdown. That's just a nice little flavor to add to that take. I'm not in on that one. You want to hear my last bold take here before we get to our locks of the week? Yes, sir. We'll stick out in the AFC East. I think the Panthers beat the Jets
2: by two touchdowns. A, a Bad take. Okay, tell me why. I, dude, I just think Zach Wilson is going to come out here and carve up the Panthers. I don't. I think that that pass rush is going to be
1: pretty intimidating for him to face in his career opener.
2: You just like Hassan Reddick. Just admit I'm, it. I'm a
1: huge Hassan Reddick guy. Who isn't a huge Hassan Reddick guy? Right up there in the sack leaderboard last year. And look, as I've talked about... Him and Ryan Burns were both top 15 in pressures. I think you can expect to see continued progression from Derrick Brown. I think Jeremy Chin is a playmaker in that secondary. I just think this is a young, feisty, improved defense. And I know that you're a big Zach Wilson guy. That's a lot to ask in a debut for him to carve up a legitimate high-level pass rush.
2: I'm not just a Zach Wilson guy. I'm a Jets offense guy. Yeah, I'm
1: not. I'm not. And look, this is a bold prediction. I think the line is three and a half at this point. So to say two touchdowns, it's expecting a lot. And by the way, the other problem with that is that requires the Panthers actually scoring points. And Sam Darnold (laughs) is the man who's going to have to help them score points. But I do think they control this game. I think they control the tempo of this game with McCaffrey back. I think that they're going to be... Just the stronger offensive team because they have that reliable go-to they can just get the ball to in any situation. And then I just think defensively they're on a
2: completely different level. Do we have a taco bet for this week? No. I don't think so. All right, I'll give you an option. We can do a taco bet on the Steelers-Bills game or this one right here, Jets-Panthers. I mean, I'll take the Steelers-Bills game. I don't, I don't,
1: I, what I, are we betting on? Your line of Steelers minus seven? Because I'll take that. I'm not setting that. Look, I'm not the bookie, bruh. Okay, you're the guy with the bold prediction. Okay, you know what? Because I don't actually, I think plus six and a half I think it's for the fair. Steelers. Well, I'm saying, I think that that's too much. I so do I. I wouldn't bet on the Bills against that spread. That's why they're my lock of the week. <laughs> okay, that's fine. You, They're your lock of the week and some. So, I don't know. What are we going to put a taco bet on then? How about just straight up Bills-Steelers, all right? Because you think the Steelers are going to win. All right, deal. We're shaking on it. All right, there we go. I can't wait to have that taco, baby. You get one.
2: What? That's not a meal. How I many is it? Three? Are we doing three? That yeah, seems fair to me. All
1: right, sounds good. And to be clear, they're actually going to be quesadillas. They're not going to be tacos.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Who goes okay. to Taco Cello and gets the tacos, right? I don't know. Crazy people. All
1: right, so that's your lock of the week. You want to elaborate yeah, on that at I all? I do.
2: Um, I completely agree. I think six and a half is much too high for the Steelers versus Bills, and I just want to... As a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, every game comes down to the wire, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And... We have had 18 losses in the last three seasons, two with Big Ben at the helm, one season with Duck and Mason Rudolph at the helm. Only six of those losses have been decided by more than one possession. Twelve of those have been within seven points, and that is the track record for every season as a Steeler fan. Last game versus the Bills, we lost 26-15. to 15. That was a defense that wasn't at full health. That was an offense that couldn't establish a run. We were sputtering. We were falling. We were going down the hole. This is a different team. This is a better team than last year. Maybe not fully defensively because of the cornerback situation, as you said. This is going Mm -hmm. to be a better offense. Six and a half to me is a stupid bet. I think the Steelers cover, and this is a really tight game. Look, I'm not saying we're going to outright win like I did in my last take. I don't think that, but six and a half I think is egregious for Pittsburgh. That's fair. I will stay in the AFC East for my
1: lock of the week. I think the Pats cover versus the Dolphins. Worst case scenario to me, this is a push because it's expected to be a field goal game right now. And I just, again, have no faith in the Dolphins' offense to produce at a high level. I considered Eagles covering against the Falcons, but that's my bold prediction. I'm not willing to say that's a lock of the week. I also considered the Bears covering against the Rams, because I think the Rams are certainly going to win that game. But it, the lines at 7.5 right now, that's a little bit high. I don't know, I'm a Bears guy. I think that defense, week one for Matt Stafford, without you know a lot of comfort as far as who's going to be leading at the running back position yet, could be a little bit more competitive, but I think the Rams are clearly the better team. So I'll go with the Pats, who I continue to get a little bit higher on every time I think about them, which I do not enjoy because I do not enjoy the New England Patriots. So with that, Logan, we are concluding our first live show in the Bill Austin Radio Studio here on blazeradioonline.com in quite some time. If you want to listen to some other nerd such content, maybe you know where to find us, but Normally, we live stream all of our shows on YouTube as well, so you can catch those there. We can't do that when we're in studio here, but normally we do a couple times a week. You can find other YouTube content there. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your audio content. You can follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore, uh, nerd underscore sesh, and both Instagram and TikTok are at nerd sesh. And with that, as always, I have been Carson Braver. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.